TLDR, if you're short on time and want to hear some of the insights, ideas and practical solutions to the current US criminal justice system, then here's seven minutes of key sound bites from criminal justice expert, thought leader and advocate David E. Risley. Now, if you do have time and you're on a run, a cycle or a drive, please check out the full episode. Now, over to David. I spent over five years of my life living in the predominantly Muslim areas of the Middle East. Okay, and I, so I studied Islamic law, Islamic criminal law, and there's a certain category of crimes, including murder, where in Islamic law, just use that as a prototype here, the victims get to choose between whether they want one of three outcomes, retribution, revenge being number one, number two, restitution. You know, if this was a murder or something, the, the breadwinner of the family was lost, there's there monetary damages to it. And number three, forgiveness. Now, let's suppose the victim wants vengeance, and that's imposed. Let's suppose another victim, same crime, what they want is restitution. And then the third same crime says, no, God wants me to forgive, and I do forgive. This person needs our help. All right, same crime. Three very different outcomes. Oh, and one factor I should add. The victims only get to choose one of these three outcomes. Okay, so now you end up with very disparate outcomes for someone who committed the same crime for the same reasons with the same perpetrator needs that they may have. Is that justice? So the question you posed, does it have an easy answer? No, but definitely the interests of victims have to be first and foremost And the system needs to address how can we meet those needs, because if there's not justice for the victims, how can it be called justice just because it meets public demands? The public interest being primarily in public safety and an outcome that is sufficiently legitimate in the eyes of the public that they don't resort to vigilantism, Mm -hmm. you know, self-help solutions, public order, in other words, rule of law. But when you only pursue the public interest and put that over the interests of victims, it's hard for me to conceive of that as justice. And restorative justice is one way of doing that. But whether it be a privately run prison or a publicly run prison with the employee situation you described, which leads to a lot of political resistance to closing prisons because there is a human impact. People go into the prison business, whether it be private or public, thinking of it as a career And particularly when most of them are public, you know, they have pensions at stake here, all of that. And you're going to close that prison? Oh, when it's a major, in Illinois, they spread the prisons throughout the state in less populated counties that were willing to receive them, have them, because they were major sources of employment. All right, you've just solved one problem and created another human problem. Those people need to be accounted for as well, and as you pointed out. They, they need to be redirected into something else. Well, how do you do that? Ultimately, you have to set up a system of incentives that are aligned with the desired outcomes. And you can have programs that are actually social programs, privately run programs, drug rehabilitation programs, programs for dealing with various behavioral health issues, mental health issues, dealing with trauma, school systems that are paid a certain level based on, you know, so that they can run their program. But their future viability as service providers is dependent upon achieving certain outcomes, benchmarks. And when their paycheck 
is tied to achieving desired results, outcomes, they can become pretty innovative about how to best achieve those. And when you go through a system of cost-benefit analysis, which approaches in prison, out of prison, which services are most cost-effective, which is, by the way, another thing that the SPAC, the Sentencing Policy Advisory Council, does, is engage in cost-benefit analysis, uh, then you find that there are some things that emerge that are far more effective than other things that may be widely used but really don't change outcomes. Mm. For example, one of the things that the SPAC has identified in prisons and out as being highly cost-effective in preventing recidivism is cognitive behavioral therapy. I've got the Justice Voices podcast, which tells eye-opening stories of people with lived experience with crime and with the criminal justice system. But it raises more questions, ultimately, than it provides answers. So we've got to add the answer part, and that's what you're referring to. And that we are calling Justice Visions. And the Justice Visions project will essentially be what you've talked about, convening, bringing together, and seeking to synthesize as a groupthink, design-thinking process to come up with consensus on superior solutions and then to publicize those. Now, we've got a strategic plan that's posted as a blog piece on our justicevoices.org, but why does it fall on me? It doesn't fall on me. There are lots of people, literally thousands of people, asking the same questions. But if nobody does anything, nothing's going to change. You can Google Ready Chicago. It's a program, a project of the Heartland Alliance in Chicago. So if you go to heartlandalliance.org forward slash ready, spelled R-E-A-D-I, you'll come to that program. Now, what that does a, a guest on the Justice Voices podcast program, Eddie Bocanegra, he's now working with the Department of Justice. He describes the Ready Chicago program. They've coupled with a university going through the big data analysis that you're talking about to identify the people in the, the high crime areas of Chicago who are most likely to become the victims of violence. And then they approach them. Why? Because those people, a large percentage of those people, are also those who are most likely to be perpetrators of violence. So by identifying the people most likely to become victims, they're also inherently targeting people who are most likely to become perpetrators. And they approach them with opportunities. And now you think, how do you, how do you approach somebody like that? Well, the people approaching them are people who are pretty tough characters themselves and have some background in it, who have uh, had their lives changed by the Ready Chicago program, but they intervene to offer them jobs, but also a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. And they actually divert them off that path of violentization. But it is AI, not the government, not the police. It's coming from the academic community that is leading them to the people to be approached for intervention. It's a great program. Okay, that's all for now, folks. Now, here's my ask of you. Please follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify or whatever player you use. Also, please subscribe to our new Random Collisions newsletter. We really are working to build a global community of action takers, action engines of people that really care about the problems that need solving. 
Thank you very much and see you next time. Mm -hmm.